I you know want out of pocket to kind of be an easier way for people to uh, get involved in healthcare and then level themselves up. Welcome to the Substack Podcast, where we have conversations with independent writers, bloggers, thinkers, and creatives of every background. Hey, Nikhil, thanks for coming on the Substack Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So you write out of pocket, which has one of my favorite one-line descriptions, which is healthcare, but funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you have this sort of like elaboration that U.S. healthcare is a joke and it's you might as well make it funny. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I hope I think people in the U.S. probably uh, empathize with that to try to keep it as short and punchy as possible. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking maybe people outside of the U.S. don't find healthcare funny, but if you're in the U.S., you immediately understand <laughs> the appeal yeah. of this newsletter. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where in the U.S. it's like it's gotten so absurd that it's now funny. You know how like when when movies are so bad that they're good, uh, but if you you know if you're watching from the outside, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> exactly. Or from the inside. Right. So you started this pretty recently, like just this year. And -hmm. it seems like the response has been great so far. Um, I know you have a long history of doing healthcare research previously. So we'd love to hear a little bit about like how you got here and why you ended up starting a newsletter about healthcare. Yeah, definitely. Um, So for some background, uh, after college, I went to a company called CB Insights uh, for about four and a half years. Uh, For those people who don't know, CB Insights basically tracks tech trends just generally starting with private markets and kind of data happening uh, in the startup universe and then uh, expanded into kind of just tech in general. Um, And, you know, one part of the CB Insights um, kind of business is the research team, which I was a part of and helped build out and, you know, more specifically helped build out our healthcare research team. So I was doing that specifically for about three years or so. Um, Part of the you know, I guess uh, our growth strategy at CB Insights was create these newsletters using the data that we had and put interesting things together. And so when we were building out the healthcare research side of things, uh, one of the things I had to do was basically create our healthcare specific newsletter. Um, And I was trying to think how I could make the newsletter different. Um, You know, we had some data, which was interesting, but there were a lot of uh, healthcare newsletters that had data in in it. So I figured what I could do better than other people uh, in the kind of healthcare newsletter landscape was uh, be funny, which is, you know, pretty low bar in healthcare. So I was like, ah, I, could, I could definitely be funnier than these people. Um, so started kind of injecting humor into the newsletter. And that was sort of um, pretty on brand for the rest of the CB Insights newsletter is kind of this like snarky humor filled, um, you know, kind of content. Uh, and we realized pretty quickly that it filled, I think, a really big niche for people. Um, I think generally people are looking for uh, tools and content, et cetera, in the business world, the same way they consume it in their you know, regular lives and having funny industry-specific newsletters sort of filled into that. Um, so anyway, I, I, built, I, I wrote that newsletter and it got to about 90,000 people by the time I had left. And um, after that, went to a company called TrialSpark, where I was on the partnerships and business development team. Uh, basically creating uh, new business lines and, and, and types of partnerships. Uh, and it's a clinical trial startup for anyone who's curious. Um, and then, yeah, about two and a half months ago or so, decided to leave to uh, pursue out-of-pocket uh, full-time. I'm actually, I'm actually doing two newsletters, uh, fun, funny enough. Um, one is sort of a side project called Get Real, which I'm you know, happy to talk about later. But the main one I'm working on is out-of-pocket. So saw the need for kind of like funny, approachable, digestible healthcare research. Um, I think a lot of people, I think it's really exacerbated now during kind of the 
COVID um, pandemic that there really aren't that many good approachable sources of information for people. And we're really seeing the divide of quote unquote healthcare experts and then quote unquote healthcare like novices. And I think there isn't a good way to bridge people from uh, knowing nothing about healthcare to learning about healthcare. It's a very uphill battle. And I you know, want out of pocket to kind of be an easier way for people to uh, get involved in healthcare and then level themselves up. So that's like the long spiel of my life. <laughs> Love it. It's funny. It feels like and we've seen on Substack, um, there are all these sort of drier industries like uh, well, I think they're dry, <laughs> like uh, finance and trading, um, yeah. healthcare in your case, um, venture capital, and so like they're that are sort of attracting attracting these meme makers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always just sort of like something dry, but then like also made funny and entertaining and approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of like for me, like coming from the world of open source software, like there's also there are people that were developers on the ground, and then there were also people like Tim O'Reilly who were sort of like mm-hmm. translating what was happening there to a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like your audience attracts mostly healthcare nerds and insiders or is it people that are interested in understanding healthcare? Do you have to be a healthcare nerd to get the jokes? I, I So what I try to do with the newsletters is make it understandable for the average person who whether or not, whether, you know, regardless of their healthcare knowledge or experience. But I do like to insert some like deep cut references for the people who are pros. Um, So I try to kind of bridge both worlds. You know, I think the other reality is most people in healthcare are usually experts in their own domain within healthcare. Like healthcare is a lot of different industries in one, right? It's pharma, it's hospitals, it's uh, insurance, etc. And I think for a lot of people, they might know their own specific domain really well, but are still novices when it comes to the rest of healthcare, right? So the goal for me is to make it as approachable as possible for anybody. Um, and I, you know, I try to, um, I try to do as best of a job as I can for giving all the context you need within kind of like the realm of one given newsletter. So sort of try to explain all the acronyms that are relevant, um, provide like one line contextual, uh, sentences that are helpful about other parts of the industry. Uh, but the idea is that every newsletter should theoretically stand on its own and you should be able to read it as kind of a lay person. What I'll probably end up doing as the newsletter develops is uh, having more backlinking to sort of, uh, you know, primer style posts. So if you're confused about something, uh, you know, you can kind of backlink your way into uh, this, the stuff to give you uh, context. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about like this expertise issue of, mm-hmm. I think this is especially true in healthcare where um, there's this fear, especially for people that aren't necessarily familiar with healthcare, where if they're not exactly sure who to trust. And I think there's maybe some, especially tension with this in the crossover to tech where um, at least my experience in tech being that a lot of people emphasize an amateur point of view and saying, you know, you don't have to be this credentialed expert in order to um, speak authoritatively about what's happening. Uh, But I think there's a fear for people that are consuming that information of like, what if I'm trusting the wrong person? And like, I don't have the context to necessarily understand which thing is good and which thing is not. Um, from your position, how, like, how would you counsel, I guess, a reader to think about that? And then also from your position, uh, how do you balance the things that you know about versus the things you don't know about? Yeah, totally. I, I, I think healthcare feels this probably more acutely than any other field because it's very heavily kind of credentialed as a whole. Uh, and I get it, right? Like 
most physicians are spending decades of their lives to become experts in their fields. And like, you know, to have someone who's kind of like armchair epidemiology, uh, uh, you know, uh, stating things when they've like learned it for like two weeks, you, you know, you can probably understand why someone who studied this for 10 years might be a little peeved or, you know, kind of like skeptical. At the same time, I think, you know, some of the most interesting observations have come from people who are outside of the healthcare industry, even if there's like a higher uh, noise to signal ratio. Um, I think the, the the problem is that the two sides have like acted very antagonistically towards each other as opposed to, um, you know, hearing hearing each other's arguments and kind of finding interesting middle ground. Um, I think I think there's still a lot of room there. Um, so to answer your question a little bit more specifically about if you're a reader and you're thinking about healthcare, like what in healthcare information to consume and digest, um, I think for one, the you there are obviously like credible and less credible sources. And I think part of what I've been trying to do is follow people where networks of people I find credible also find those people credible. So um, if if there are people who, you know, I've seen consistently seem to have really interesting uh, thoughts historically and have like trended towards correct. Um, and then they endorse other people, uh, or their work, then I view it with like a, you know, higher level of credibility. So it's a little bit more focusing on, I think the people specifically. Um, and then for me personally, in terms of things I know and don't know, uh, I really try to try my best to like build my own base knowledge first and then consult with people who I think are experts in their given field on, where they think, um, you know, where they think improvements could be made. I try and like poke around the edges a little bit based on what I know as kind of like a novice in a lot of these areas and, and see how they respond. Uh, but I think the key is really finding people who are flexible experts, I guess, like people who have um, studied their field for a long time, but also still remain default skeptical of their field. And once you find those people, like really attaching yourselves to them, I think is really important. So, you know, I try to try to, uh, use those people as my, uh, you know, uh, uh, to to spitball thoughts off of pretty frequently. I really like that. It sounds like there's like one aspect of it that's about uh, using people you trust almost as credentials. And then how to find those people sounds like part of it is just looking for people who are inherently skeptical, but also well-read and, and understand what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you find that you're in a different position to understand this kind of stuff? Uh, because you're sort of looking more broadly at research and overall trends as opposed to being a specific practitioner for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think there are like pros and cons to the place where I sit. I think for one, I think I understand the worlds of healthcare and tech a little bit better than anyone who's sort of siloed in each of their, um, each of their specific domains. And then two, you know, it's one thing that I really appreciate about my time at CV Insights is that actually when I started I was covering healthcare, but I was also covering uh, consumer packaged goods, uh, construction, agriculture, and some and uh, autonomous vehicles, which is like you know mile wide, half an inch deep uh, <laughs> on any of these. But what I what was really I guess nice about that is that you can actually see interesting trends across industries and do better compare and contrast of like why different things happened when they did. Um, so, for example, if you look at for, uh, you know, if you look at autonomous cars and you see the relationship between kind of like OEMs, manufacturers, et cetera, and you look at pharma and try to understand what the difference is between 
the manufacturers and supply chains, like you can see really, you know, super different dynamics at play because, you know, of how patents work, of how consolidated the supply chain is, how like specialized it is, et cetera. So it was nice actually seeing a lot of industries concurrently because it became easier. It became more interesting to kind of view them in parallel with each other. Uh, and I don't view that as, uh, you know, very differently than when I'm viewing different parts of healthcare itself. So even looking within healthcare to see how, um, you know, how health insurance works versus how maybe auto insurance works, for example. Um, they're very different dynamics. Health insurance is, you know, way more uh, proactive in terms of trying to, like, uh, deliver care to patients versus auto truly acts as catastrophe insurance. Um, so, so. Uh, you know, I think I think being able to kind of sit at a bird's eye view makes that really fun and interesting. But simultaneously, there's going to be a lot of frontline, like really nitty gritty stuff that um, that I'm going to miss out on. And, you know, one one piece of advice uh, a mentor sort of gave me, which I think was really useful, was to try and alternate your career between really macro and then really micro viewpoints. And so at CB Insights, I, you know, was obviously sitting in a more macro stage than at TrialSpark. I was working on really nitty gritty problems and really being on the front lines of things. And now I'm kind of, you know, oscillating back to the macro side. And so, you know, it both gives you kind of like a industry lens on how your industry is changing, but then you can see like on, on the ground, how does that actually impact um, the day-to-day operations of something? So that's kind of. I really love that. That's, there's sort of a parallel there to the blogging versus building thing that I've also heard of. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really good to be zooming out and thinking about stuff. And sometimes it's really good to be on the ground and they inform each other. I, I found just for people doing any sort of independent research or writing really deeply about a topic, it's like so important to get both those things. And, and a lot of people don't necessarily get the luxury of being able to do both. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, uh, I think, you know, being forced to write for a long time really, made me realize actually how difficult the process of crystallizing your thoughts really is. And then, you know, also uh, feeling confident enough in the stuff you write to put it out in the public sphere, knowing that, you know, there's a high chance to probably get roasted over something you got wrong, um, which is just like, you know, reality of, of being, putting stuff in public, but being confident enough in yourself to put that stuff out of it is really important. How does writing a newsletter at CB Insights compare to writing one on your own now? Uh, were there like... Are there trade-offs here with like editorial independence uh, versus like reach? Yeah, I mean, there's def- there's definitely a lot of differences. One, you know, when I was at CB Insights, uh, my only job was to do was to create the analysis. Now, doing my own, it's you know, writing is one portion of it, but other portions are like, how do I market this properly? How do I, uh, you know, come up with the drip campaigns for people who are there's like a lot of the logistics stuff in the back end, um, and then also thinking about product roadmap is very different because obviously at CB Insights, we had an entire product team and, and you know, the CEO was obviously very, uh, you know, had his own vision for the product and the, the target customer was fortune, was fortune 500. And the goal was to sell more of the CB Insights data product. So obviously very different motivations, um, on being on my own, uh, one had to think like, about different monetization channels, and then therefore, what are what does the product roadmap look like for different channels? So uh, that's definitely different. And then you know, editorial independence-wise, like there's yeah, obviously like writing on your own, you definitely can write as much as you want. One thing I will say that I miss is 
you know, when I was at CB Insights, two things that were really helpful were one, having really good editors. I can't, uh, I can't stress enough how much having good editors really like leveled me up as a writer and an analyst because it forced me to uh, basically, uh, uh, you know, distill my thoughts into things that people who are not healthcare people could understand. And that was really important. Uh, obviously, there's also about the, the copy editing stuff, which like I'm awful at, um, which as anyone who's on these newsletters has probably seen at this point. Um, and then the second thing was having coworkers to bounce ideas off of um, was really useful. And obviously being a solo writer, that poses its own challenges. And it's important, I think, to create your own networks to bounce ideas off of other people as you're writing them. So that's that was another, I guess, struggle of like doing solo. Can you talk a little more about that? Uh, just about how, uh, like, does having the newsletter now, uh, has it led to you finding people that you can talk to about this kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, not only will I say that, like, I think I've built a, a, you know, network in healthcare of people that I feel like I can bounce ideas off of pretty regularly uh, to, to, you know, fact check myself as well as come up with new ideas. But uh, the newsletter itself has actually drawn an interesting kind of um, cross section of people in healthcare who, uh, you know, are are masters of domains in their own area and are very willing and happy to like chat about uh, any topic that they feel like they're experts in, which is awesome because, you know, one thing about healthcare especially, and I'm sure this is the case in a lot of other like quote unquote legacy industries, is there's all these just like layers to it that I still to this day I'm learning exist, like you know, you, you'll, you'll discover there's some random uh, industry that's like sits between two healthcare players and actually like billions of dollars pass through it. And I'm like, wow, I just never knew these people existed. Um, so, so once they, you know, a lot of people will reach out and be like, Hey, I work at this company. We do uh, X, Y, Z thing. Like we're the wholesaler to wholesalers. And I'm like, what, how's that even, how is that even an industry? Um, and then, you know, will kind of like lead me to the rabbit hole of, either you know chatting with them pretty quickly or or looking into it myself and just like learning you know way more just because they made their presence known <laughs> as like part of the industry a part a part of the chain that exists um and it's been it's been great to kind of you know riff off these riff with these people who are are um you know are kind of masters of their uh, domain the, the other thing i will say is also people who who at least for now uh, opt into reading out of pocket are typically the kind of people who want to be kind of flexible experts. And so the nice thing is that it sort of creates this self-selection mechanism of people who um, sign up for the newsletter and then also are are motivated enough to actually reach out and say like, hey, I really like this. Here's like a quick paragraph on things I'm interested in and we're do and we're building here like I think you might be interested. Uh, I'm, 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 there's a higher likelihood that those people are the flexible experts I was talking about before. And so I'm always very happy to, to chat with them and, and, and understand, uh, you know, how they're thinking about their field. How did you grow your list for out of pocket? How did, how did these people find you initially? Yeah. I mean, I will say that I think I, I sort of built a following on Twitter to begin with by again, sort of like shit posting my way to glory on the healthcare side <laughs> of things. Uh, I so I definitely the initial cohort was people um, who who were I think following me on Twitter or LinkedIn or something like that, um, and then since then I've basically been reaching out uh, either cold to people in different industries. Uh, I've been 
you know, started an Instagram, my first ever Instagram. I'm not on Instagram personally. So this is like a, a, a journey and a half for me. I, I really, truly feel like a total Luddite when I'm trying to like use Instagram, but, you know, trying my best there. Um, but yeah, a lot of cold outreach. Uh, I think I'm going to be doing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of interviews with some people who have their own followings too. And will you know, have been also asking people to, uh, you know, post it, uh, posting it in different kind of like healthcare specific Slack channels, et cetera. So really just trying to find um, any area where there seems to be healthcare interested people who, you know, kind of want to level themselves up or are interested in following trends in healthcare, et cetera. Um, the pandemic has obviously proven to be an interesting kind of environment to do this in because I think there are a lot more people who are now interested in learning how healthcare works. And so, you know, been trying to ride that trend a little bit. Are there a lot of pockets already of, since I don't know anything about the world of healthcare, um, mm-hmm. of people that are already sort of clustering and talking about this in different forms, if you're sort of like, I guess, looking to borrow or siphon off parts of other people's audiences? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of people, there are definitely a lot of healthcare channels where people are talking about things. Um, lots of healthcare Slack groups, lots of, um, you know, lots of other newsletters that are just generally about healthcare, lots of, um, you know, just, I guess, different different audiences. Um, I think I'm the only person who's specifically trying to use humor and like memes and stuff as their uh, differentiating factor. Um, so you know, definitely, they, those definitely exist. Um, I, I, I think that it's a lot of this is for, I don't, I don't know how many of, of these um, uh, communication channels are specifically targeting people who are not healthcare experts who want to learn about healthcare. I think a lot of these channels target people who are already in the industry. And, you know, the whole point of out of pocket is sort of to make it more accessible for people. So it's, it, I usually have to find some other channels or, you know, partner with people who are also just, uh, are, are just attracting, um, you know, people who want to learn more generally, and maybe it's not healthcare specific. It's just, Hey, these are, uh, you know, ambitious, uh, autodidactic folks who want to learn more about how the world works, not necessarily about healthcare, but those are, I think also good audiences to kind of, um, shill my shill my wares basically (laughs) can you talk a little bit about uh i guess writing about healthcare on twitter versus instagram which sounds like it's a new format for you and then also on substack of just yeah how do the memes transfer on instagram versus on newsletters uh do you prefer one over the other it's so fascinating to see how i mean i this is more my anecdotal experience like i don't know if this was true for everything or not but the audiences audiences are so different. I will say, like, I think part of it is just, and it makes sense. Like, people are going to these different avenues for different reasons. So, if you're if you're if you've opted in to sign up for an email newsletter, there's way more flexibility into the amount that you can write for the newsletter. Obviously, um, so you know, I take liberty with that, and I try to create emails that are long and kind of like in depth, etc., because the format sort of allows for that. And I want people also to forward it and share it with other people because they thought it was informative. Um, Twitter, like, I think people want to just bite size pithy uh, anecdotes or like stories. Like they want, they want just like the interesting part of the entire newsletter. They don't necessarily want all the context that's associated with it. Um, And then for Instagram, it's like almost entirely visual. There just aren't 
there's you know there's no text I, I even like trying to use instagram for the first time it's so funny because i'm like man like why can't i like link my newsletter in this and then, and then all my friends are like yeah dude you only get one link i'm like oh okay this is very different <laughs> um so i'm trying to like figure out i think you know it's funny because i think memes are like the great lowest common denominator across all of them um people just like memes and i also think that if you can have a you know, basically memes summarize whatever your main point is. And uh, it helps, I think, solidify the takeaways for a lot of people, but they work well across different platforms. Um, and then the last thing I will say is that my whole shtick in life is trying to like blend my personal and professional worlds very closely together. I think, I'm try- I, I think I'd like to reduce the delta as much as possible from like who I am as a professional to who I am as a person, where I think a lot of people try to keep those worlds separate. And so... I think me posting on LinkedIn as if I'm a, you know, individual who's again, like making, you know, trash memes on the internet uh, makes me seem a little bit more humanizing. And I, and I, I'm not kind of writing this like LinkedIn poetry about things. I'm trying to just uh, be like, be who I am as a person on LinkedIn, which I uh, think maybe is uh, not, not normal for a lot of people, but yeah. Anyway, I, I think there's a lot of medium differences, but I, I'd like my style and tonality and like personality to kind of show up no matter where it is. I, I didn't realize you're also on LinkedIn. You've really hit like every channel possible. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying out here. <laughs> here, like there are actually like a number of Substack writers that have built their audiences on LinkedIn and then like are also building on Substack. And like, I guess for me, I didn't realize there's like so much going on, but it sounds like it's become more attractive as a platform for sharing things in the past couple of years am i crazy yeah. like where did, where did this come from i think a lot of industry people still use like i think a lot of people mm-hmm. who are who are deep in their industries still use linkedin a lot i mean i was talking to a friend once and we were ta- and the conversation of like default social networks came up and he said linkedin and he like to this day still gets roasted over it so i don't think people <laughs> would would ever outwardly admit a lot of this and i also think you know, candidly, I think anecdotally, there seems to be a bit of also an age gap and difference or also a role difference and gap. So, you know, if you're, I think, primarily a lot in a lot of like sales, marketing, and classic roles, LinkedIn is really important. Um, and so it, it, I think it really just depends on the channel you care about. Uh, I will say that, you know, his, I've, I've found that LinkedIn is a, uh, so, so two things. I think one, LinkedIn is a great place to, shill your wares to coworkers that you used to work with who like maybe you're not you don't have personal you're not connected with on like personal social networks um and then the second thing is i think linkedin has a way higher noise to signal ratio or like quality of readers just generally um so it really depends on what your goal is as a writer um i i i think if you just want to get eyeballs on your stuff then uh you know linkedin is great for that i think if you're trying to do more interesting things with your readership specifically, um, then, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a bit of a crapshoot um, to, to, to get people from LinkedIn. Actually wondering about something related, which is, for, did you feel like when you had a newsletter you were writing at CBN Insights that it could be, I guess, as much of like a calling card for lack of a better term versus uh, out of pocket in that both are technically these branded newsletters that are, it's not like it's your personal newsletter or anything that mm-hmm. you just kind of writing about whatever you're thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. Like they have a very specific focus 
but in one case, it feels like you're, I guess, writing for a company versus like something that you've spun up yourself. Do you feel like one attracts more people to, to you than the other? Yeah, I mean, I think the CB Insights brand is really strong. And so that definitely helped open a lot of doors, both for both in terms of getting new readership, because um, it was very easy to sort of be like, hey, you've you know seen the CB Insights newsletter, we're doing the same thing for healthcare, people understood then what they're kind of getting into, um, versus out of pocket, which is sort of a, you know, new, uh, new kind of like approach to it that I have to sell a little bit more. Um, and then the other thing is there's a lot more cross posting on the CB Insights uh, newsletters too. Um, if you're interested again in like general corporate strategy uh, and you're a healthcare person, then you're probably signed up for the main CB Insights newsletter and we'll tell you about the healthcare one and you're probably interested in that. So there, there are definitely benefits to that. Um, I think writing as a person, ha- you know, I really have to focus a little bit more on selling me the person as opposed to any brand that I'm associated with. Um, and that's definitely harder, but it's also something that I've tried to do a little bit more deliberately through, uh, you know, the course of my life, especially just like writing on my own personal blog and, and trying to like build up my Twitter followers uh, and you know, posting on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Like I want people to know that uh, I do know what I'm talking about a little bit as an individual. And so, um, you know, it, there, there hopefully is some, some merit to, uh, me writing as a solo person. I, I'll also say I've also leaned very heavily on people who I think like are, you know, deeply believe in the stuff that I'm doing and writing about and working on as an individual to like, uh, you know, be a lot of the early evangelists of, of stuff. So, um, you know, having that support from people is, was, is really helpful, especially in the early days. So, um, you know, I've, I've, that, that's one of the benefits of also writing as a person as opposed to a brand is, you know, I'm, I'm really leveraging my, my relationships to, to, you know, kind of help with distribution. Makes sense. Um, I'd love to talk about the paid Slack experiment that you announced recently, which I thought seemed cool. Um, it sounds like it's available only to people that subscribed out of pocket and sort of like building upon this list that you're creating. Um, why did you decide to go with the paid Slack as your first paid product experiment? Yeah, no. Um, yeah. So for some context, I'm sort of doing a, uh, paid private Slack for out-of-pocket members where you have to fill out a form. I'm sort of vetting the people who are coming in, uh, then charging per month, and also having a very heavy hand and sort of uh, helping to moderate both in terms of, you know, in, mostly in terms of uh, discussion starters and kind of curating events and some, you know, light homework for people to do, et cetera. So that's the first product. Um, you know, I, I think there's a few reasons why I went down this route. So. Uh, I think a lot of people on Substack, their probably their default monetization path is, hey, let me monetize the Substack, and I and I totally get it. For me, you know, like I said, the the goal here is to help people who are healthcare curious get more involved in healthcare, and I think by forcing people to pay for the Substack, um, you kind of that kind of goes against the general principle of trying to get newcomers into healthcare. Um, so I wanted to try some other monetization experiments before I went down that route. Um, and the, the reason I decided to do a, you know, kind of paid Slack channel is one, I think there's still a gap to having, there's still a gap right now of a like really small group of healthcare operators specifically uh, who, you know, are building things, want to share 
tactics and advice and also um, are really, uh, really interested in not just kind of like asking for favors from a Slack channel, but more building a real community and, um, you know, uh, kind of actually being somewhat friends with each other. Like if you were to go to a city and someone in that Slack channel actually lived there, like, would you hit them up and, you know, trying to actually get, get that happening. So stuff like that. Um, I also think that uh, having a curated group of people uh, and understanding their thoughts about the industry is really important for me to understand for in terms of future things I'd, I'd like to write. And also in the future, I'd hope to use this kind of vetted group of people to, I don't know, either like uh, put out surveys and get their general sentiment on things and really get a true understanding of what I think they're happening in the ground. Um, I, I, I haven't, I, I think there's, I think there's still a lot of room to build good healthcare communities. And I think this Slack is sort of one step to that. Um, it's probably worth also just like explaining a little bit about what I hope out of pocket is in the future and how the Slack kind of fits into that. Uh, I really would like out of pocket to essentially be the onboarding mechanism for people who are interested in getting involved in healthcare. And so uh, understanding trends and what's going on in the industry is one part, and that's where the newsletter fits in. Um, but I'd like to actually help people learn from zero to uh, from nothing to um, to being an expert, and that can start with basically crash courses. So, like, uh, eventually going to like uh, three day intensives to help understand exactly how this part of healthcare works. Maybe it's clinical trials or how does health insurance reimbursement work. Um, so that's where you learn about a really specific slice of healthcare. The newsletter is to help understand trends in the industry broadly. And then once you're sort of in the weeds of healthcare itself, uh, how do you connect with other people who are also in the weeds of healthcare? And that's where the Slack channel fits in. So hmm. that's kind of like the overarching uh, like product thought process. You referred to sort of, yeah, this being a way for people to... Um out-of-pocket in general, being a way for people to familiarize themselves with the world of healthcare. There's still some selection, self-selection, I guess, or is there around, it's not just necessarily someone who's has zero, I guess, um, is just sort of a casual observer and is like, I would love to learn a bunch more. It's, are there people that are coming at it from maybe like an investor perspective or an analyst perspective where they kind of need to get up to speed with healthcare? Or are you appealing to an even more general audience than that? I think it's a little both. I think it's <laughs> Even when I think, especially for a lot of startups, and I've I've seen this across a lot of friends who have joined startups, um, a lot of them join these companies maybe from they go from tech to a digital health startup or something, and there you know there isn't a great onboarding process in a lot of cases to understand how their industry works normally and then how the startup works differently and like what pain points they're trying to address. So I kind of think of this actually as like almost external bootcamp um, to like understand how how your industry works also. So it could be from an analyst side of things. It could be from an actual operator side of things. Um, you know, I it's funny because uh, I went to, I, I did a, a Wall Street financial modeling bootcamp just kind of for shits and giggles, maybe like six months ago or so. And it was funny because people went around the room to introduce themselves. And uh, basically every single person who was there uh, was there because their company paid for them to be there as part of their onboarding process, whether that was onboarding into a new team or onboarding into like an investment bank or et cetera. And then it got to me and it was like, hey, like, yeah, I'm just here just because. Um, 
And it made me realize that like, oh, there's a lot of people here just because their their company doesn't do their training internally. They do they, they do their training largely externally. Um, and you know, I really when I was at TrialSpark and I joined, I really wanted to understand the nitty gritty parts of the process of how clinical trials worked. Um, and you know, there are a lot of courses that are either really cheap online and like fifty dollars, but no real accountability into like learning it, and they're really dry and boring. Or there's these like two week fully immersive like ten thousand dollar courses, and it's like that's also not what I needed. Um, so you know, I I, I sort of taught uh, was you know taught myself and asked a lot of questions of people at the company internally. But I think it would have been really useful if even before I had started working to do like a three day intensive to learn um, the process. And you know, I'd, I'd like out of pocket to eventually move there. Had you thought about doing like? video courses or some sort of educational content. It's just interesting. Like a discussion group is so different from that. Yeah, I think I think that's eventually where I'll move. The, the discussion group is more just because, and, and frankly, it's one because I think corporate budgets for education are just way lower now, given it's a pandemic. Um, and two, uh, two I, I think the audience who has self-selected into the out-of-pocket Slack slash, you know, my, you know, general, I guess, friends and followers are usually like more deep in healthcare. And so this seems like actually just an easier lift to start with. But eventually I would like to go into this like educational component to get people leveled up either through video courses or, you know, maybe it is like uh, in-person boot camps or something. Uh, but, but yeah, basically moving, moving to that, moving uh, into that area. And so you have this like, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but like you have like an application process. It's capped at max 15 people. There's like homework. It's like the bar is high uh, and you make that really clear to people that are, I guess, thinking about applying that like this mm -hmm. is something that they should take seriously. Mm -hmm. um, is there maybe some crossover here with like uh, Get Real, which you mentioned early on about mm -hmm. your experiment to create more authentic connections? Mm -hmm. um, like how, how did, I'm assuming all this is sort of done to keep Slack conversations interesting because they sort of like die, they often die after the initial launch and everyone being sort of excited. Um, I think mm -hmm. that fear keeps a lot of people like including myself from starting a Slack. Um, <clears throat> what are some of the things that you've learned either from Get Real or from doing this of just like how to keep conversations interesting and at a high bar? Yeah, totally. Um, and, and, you know, you, you sort of have, I think, seen, uh, seen the connection here, but you know, Get Real has been my community building experiment on the side. And again, for context, if anyone's interested, it's I was going going through my quarter life crisis three years ago. So I started this newsletter where I ask a question each week, I answer it, and then I get other people's thoughts and post my three favorite answers the next week. Um, and 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 that's sort of the, the gist. Um, you know, the what I've learned about what I've learned from about about good communities, I guess, is like it, they hinge on a few things. One, um, you need really active like key members slash moderators like there's always a few people that you need to be constantly kind of keeping the conversation up and engaging people other people in the group um and it, it usually has to be more than one person i would say it's like one two maybe three people who are like really really um you know active participants and group members to kind of normalize the idea of participating regularly so that's one thing two is um you can't scale it very fast. I think this is, uh, I think a trip that most people fall into, uh, especially when you're monetizing directly off the people who are in 
the you know community or whatever is you you know you start a community a few people join you seem to like have a really high quality group then you like raise a seed round or a series a round and then you just you know put all that money into paid marketing or or whatever and 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 just dramatically increase the size but then the quality drops like inevitably um you have to be i think really deliberate about how you grow the the community and i think it it's very it, you know, it's it's very tempting to just grow very fast, but I've never once seen a community that grows fast that managed to keep the community feel. Um, and then the third thing is, I, I think by requiring work from the members, uh, people are more invested in the community itself. I, I think generally the internet community is at least in V1, and maybe this is changing a little bit, but most internet communities uh, they try to lower the friction to joining as much as possible to get as many members as they can, usually because they're like volume-based communities. Um, I'm trying to actually increase the friction so that the people who join the community really are serious about it. Um, and 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 if you, you know, it, it's a lot, it's going to be work, right? Like, like you said, there's some homework, there's an application. If you are willing to jump through all of those hoops, then you are someone who probably cares enough about this and you will find other people who care enough about this that um, I think that will select for people that are wanting to be a part of a good community and then therefore will be, uh, you know, be- better members of a community. So I'm like, I'm trying to increase friction to make it harder to, to be a part of this community, but make the reward, I guess, more worthwhile. I like that. It, it makes sense with all the different places that you're writing about this stuff that there's, it's sort of like there's this like drip filter of someone might just casually follow you on Twitter and then they might be like, oh, I'll sign up for this newsletter. And they're like, oh, maybe I'll try out the Slack. And it's like, it's it's sort of cultish in, in a way of sticking <laughs> like some like level zero, level one, level two or something of, of getting all the way up to like uh, paying yeah. money to <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah, I I... For one, I promise it was like not as engineered as you make it seem. Uh, it's just very random. Uh, and two, like I'm totally cool with being friends with people for free. Like you don't have to pay to be my friend. <laughs> um, but no, I, mean, I, I I think of it a little bit more. I think the tiering thing is 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 right. I think in the sense of um, you know I want I want people to opt into whatever like. like level they feel like they want to give the commitment to which is why um this is like there are different products that are targeted towards different levels of like i don't know healthcare experience and commitment um so if you're someone who is just healthcare curious like i don't want you to have to uh, do a lot of work to be a part of you know to get something out of this out of out of pocket there's like a level that works for you too but if you're someone who you know is really trying to meet people who are just as ambitious as they are um, in in terms of stuff they're trying to build in healthcare or just as deeply knowledgeable, then there's something for you too, right? So so I'm really trying to like create create products for those different tiers of kind of expertise and interest. It feels like that's maybe one of the most important shifts from, for lack of better terms, like volume-based monetization versus context-based monetization where I guess just thinking about like advertising and um, or this sort of core belief that you have to make money off everybody that's looking at your stuff. Whereas I think one of the cool things that you can do by having these more filtered places is uh, it's fine if like 
90% or 95, whatever, like most of your people are just completely reading all the free stuff and like you make nothing off of them and that's fine because there's some smaller group that's willing to pay a lot more that, um, that sort of subsidizes it for everyone else. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I think one interesting thing, you know, for, for, uh, get real, I'm, 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 you know, I don't really treat that as much as a business right now. It's more of a side project, but uh, I started a Patreon for it because obviously there's some costs associated with just even running it. Um, but, but, you know, I, I went with a, a tipping based business model because I think one of the interesting things is people get different levels of utility out of some, out of any product or any, um, you know, I think even any newsletter. So uh, when you, when you, when you create like not, when you don't have tiers of subscription, uh, I actually think that it's, you know, you kind of have a, a, like a cut, like a loss, like you had, you either have like a, the, uh, and in what's man, I'm like blanking on. Dead weight loss kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Dead weight loss. Oh, thank you. I'm like in uh, getting PTSD from like, econ 101. Um, <laughs> Me too. you have like a dead weight loss, basically people who actually probably would have been willing to pay more because they got more utility. And then you also lose a lot of people who like probably were willing to pay less, but still get some value out of it. And the price point you picked is just a little bit outside of their range. Um, and so I think the t- I think having the tiering is really important because you want people to like sort of stay in your universe per se and then pay the level that they care about or the level they get utility from um, to like minimize that deadweight loss. And I think if you just pick like one specific price point for one product, et cetera, then you're you're I think I think you're doing yourself a disservice. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm 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 interested to hear how other writers have thought about different. Um, you know, different product tiering if they have, but that's sort of the way the way I've thought about it. It seems especially relevant for people where someone who's paying might be paying, or I guess they have like access to a corporate sponsor or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They could charge it to their some sort of corporate expense account, and and then you also probably have people that are just sort of casually interested and want to do it for themselves. Um, so you're sort of catering to a lot of different budgets as well. Yeah. I also think like one thing I've noticed, at least, you know, one thing I've noticed is that there are some people who are just like voyeurs for the most part who are just consuming content and maybe don't necessarily want to be a part of a community, et cetera. But when, when you start talking about topics that those people are specifically experts in, like it's awesome to have them as part of the newsletter so that they can chime in. And so the problem is when you, when you, I don't know, maybe do like a weekly, when you do like a monthly recurring um, revenue business, uh, there's some people that are not going to get as much value every month that they that they do. But you don't want to lose them because in the in the months where they are like specifically experts in that area, then it's awesome to have them there and they can chime in when when they feel like it. And so I really like those. You know, I really like those people on the edge who are like on the fence about um, you know getting involved or not because I think. When they do, when, you know, when, when, when it is something relevant to them, their contributions are awesome. So I, I wouldn't want to like exclude them. Does that make sense? Yeah. How did you decide on your pricing for the Slack group? Since oh. it's, it's a, it's a good price, 20, $20 a month. You know, I got to tell you, like, there is no science to this one. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have some people that are like, that are like, man, that's like really high. Uh, you know, the. I spend this much per month on Netflix. So this is like double that. 
And then I have people on the other end being like, dude, you're charging too low. Like if, if people find this, people find this, uh, people are looking for this, like the, the, the willingness to spend is, is probably way higher. And I'm like, wow, I really, really don't know what the answer is. And so if I'm being totally honest with you, it's random. It's like very random. It's, it's what I feel like I would have paid if I wanted to join a Slack that was valuable. Um, and the pricing is probably going to change over time. Like there's going to be probably different, uh, you know, some people may be grandfathered into like this pricing. Maybe they'll have to drop it or increase it. It's weird because it's kind of like the in-between of, of what an individual's willingness to pay would be like. And which is, it's a little higher than that. And then it's probably way lower than like what a corporation would pay. And so I'm curious to see what this kind of like middle of the lane pricing uh, looks like. Um, so, you know, it's an experiment. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I love that you're just sort of taking this very experimental approach to absolutely everything that you're doing. Um, it, it feels like you're building this sort of like mini media empire, but you're testing out all the different waters and, and seeing which things resonate, which is really cool. Okay. Yeah, the my my third or fourth newsletter was about experiments with too many confounding variables, and the irony is that I think I, I don't know if I'm doing <laughs> that, but we'll see. <laughs> if you had to point to like I guess just the little philosophical as we're wrapping up here, um, yeah. like what what would you say is sort of the the center of that whole brand or empire? All the things that you're trying, like is it is it you and as an individual and your reputation? Is it like a certain um, content format that you're is sort of the bread and butter of everything. I think it's a combination of the two. I think it's really just about like me as a entity that sort of informalizes healthcare uh, using humor, using, um, you know, kind of like very everyday language, et cetera. I, I, I think that just the world of non-healthcare and healthcare has gotten so divergent that there have to be more channels to like bring them together and, and make people who are not in healthcare, understand how healthcare works, uh, people in healthcare to like be better about explaining what they're doing. Um, and I'm, I guess like one of, like one of the people who are doing that. And so this maybe right now, at least centers on a lot of the stuff I'm doing, but I'd like it to expand past just me. You know, I'd, I'd want more people to kind of get involved to be, uh, you know, maybe it's like, people within the out-of-pocket community who are teaching other people about areas that they're experts in, but doing it in a way that is sort of on in the same kind of brand of uh, accessible, funny, like informal, like this is me teaching you as like an individual if we were like at a bar getting a drink um, rather than, hey, like uh, I'm giving you like a corporate pitch presentation uh, about what we do. So uh, yeah, the goal is it, the goal for out of pocket generally is just informalizing healthcare a little bit, and yeah, I, I I hope more people are 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 you know interested in doing that. Great, it reminds me of I, talking to folks at, in the finance Twitter kind of world who say that it, there was a time when not many people were doing that, and now it feels like a lot of people are doing it. So it seems like you're sort of at the beginning of that with healthcare. I think it's really funny you mentioned that because finance in particular, I think, has this like amazing army of this pseudo like anonymous hilarious uh but very highly analytical and technical um you know group of people like that even just uh, whether it's on instagram or twitter like a lot of the fintech anonymous accounts they're really smart and they're like yeah. they're, they're very funny and actually the inspiration for out of pocket came from matt levine and 
I think his newsletter is literally one of the funniest things I've ever read. And he's so masterful. And I don't care about finance, like just to be clear, but he makes me care about finance because it's so good, funny and like well-written. And it, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like if finance can do this, like healthcare can do this. And so, yeah, it's funny you mentioned finance because it's like, that's, that's exactly, you know, the trajectory I hope this takes. Me too. It's, it's been really fun to watch so far. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining and chatting. Um, where should people find you if they want to check out your work? Yeah, so you can come to uh, the Out of Pocket Substack, which is outofpocket.substack.com. Um, I write about the things in my personal blog. Uh, it's nikhilkrishnan.com. And yeah, if you're interested in joining Get Real, it's getreal.club because you can do cool things with URLs now. Uh, but yeah, you know, and also on Twitter uh, at nikhilinit. Um, that's basically where I my my you know my most half-baked thoughts are so happy to chat with anyone who's interested in learning more about healthcare awesome thanks thanks so much